You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Soul Wars, Part 5. Enjoy. Learning about who we are in Christ. We're learning about uh, what's going on in the spirit realm. And we're going to continue that today. So we're calling this series Soul Wars. And we're going to continue in that. And if you could put Ephesians 6 up there, Eden, verse 10, and let's read these out loud together, okay? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we've been uh, spending some time shedding light on this spiritual warfare that's taking place each and every day. And spirits of darkness don't take a holiday just because it's Valentine's Day, right? They don't love you at all. They're not even in the least bit uh, uh, crazy about you, right? They actually uh, want to steal from you. They want to uh, derail you and discourage you. So we know that there's a war waging between darkness and light, and darkness is trying to keep you. Imagine the nerve of that darkness trying to keep you wonderful you, from the light, from experiencing the promises of God, from experiencing the abundant life Christ came to give you. And we know that the promises of God are the armor of God. Do you remember that from Psalm 91.4? You want to put that up there? I want to encourage you in this again. Psalm 91.4 says that God's faithful promises are our armor. So we put on the whole armor of God every day. We bathe ourselves in the promises of God. We cover ourselves with his promises because we recognize that the spirits of darkness uh, are trying to hinder us from experiencing them. And one of the main weapons they use are thoughts. And they're trying to get you to believe things about God and about yourself that aren't true. But we're not giving in to that. What's the remedy for darkness? Faith in Jesus. Yeah, looking to Jesus. So if darkness comes our way, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. He's the light that we need to go all the way. And we are going all the way. We're fulfilling our destiny. We're, we're not going to lose. We're going all the way. We're becoming everything God's made us to be. We're walking in the fullness of his destiny and purpose for our lives. We're going all the way. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Where are these witnesses that are surrounding us? Anybody know? The flea market? In the spirit realm, in heaven, right? There's a cloud, an innumerable uh, crowd, more than we can count, of those who've gone before us, those who've walked with God before us, right? James is there and Peter and John and Stephen 
and Barnabas and Paul and Timothy and Joseph and David and Ezekiel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and they're cheering you on right now. Have you ever been in a stadium when the whole crowd is going crazy? That's what you'd hear right now if you could hear what's happening in the spirit. They're, you know, go, because they know how good God is now. They're seeing clearly, and they're cheering you on saying, don't quit. Don't believe the lie. Don't give in to the darkness. Don't be afraid. Take God at his word. Rise up. Stand on his promises. Go forward. Be the person he's made you to be. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let his promises light your path in 2016. Okay, the cloud of witnesses. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What race? What race are we on? Our destiny, right? Our God-given destiny. How do we do that? Looking unto Jesus. Yeah. One translation says fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not on our circumstances. Not what should or shouldn't be happening. But on Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. He's the one who authored our faith, and he's the one who's bringing it to completion. Right? Amen. So now the frame of reference for our lives is Jesus. Right? Not our past. Our past is not our frame of reference. Right? He is. The promises of God are our frame of reference. It's faith in his promises that activate his strength in our lives. Right? Faith in his promises that activate his provision that bring about his wisdom in our lives. So God's promises are our armor. God's promises are our frame of reference, and we're going forward. We're going all the way. Hallelujah. So if you haven't been listening to the series, Soul Wars, please avail yourself of that. You'll be glad you did online at highwaychurch.us. So we want you guys to have an advantage over the darkness. So we've been talking about spiritual realities and we, we've been talking about the truth on the spirit realm. It's not hocus pocus. It's not a fairy tale. It's more real than anything we've seen in this realm. Yeah. Yeah. The spirit realm is actually where the power is. The spirit realm is where the answers are to the issues you're facing today. <clears throat> it's very relevant. It's very now. The spirit realm is where you come from. Pretty cool. We're spirit beings. We come from this spirit realm. And we've learned about why we're made. It's good to know why you're on earth. We've learned that we're made for two primary reasons, love and authority. That's why we're on earth, to experience God's love and to give his love and to be under his authority and to walk in his authority. How do we experience God's love anyway? How do we do that? I mean, does God give us a, a box of chocolates on Valentine's Day? Or how do we, how do we experience his, God's love? Well, the same way we experience anything of God, by faith. What do you mean by faith? By being sure of what he said and what he's done for us in Christ. Romans 8.32, great example. So we experience God's love by believing in what he's done for us. So if you right now put your faith in the scripture we're about to read, you will experience the love of God. The love of God will begin to uh, expand and overflow in you. 
by being sure that he did this for you. He who did not spare his own son, aren't you glad God isn't sparing? He's not a penny pincher tightwad, right? That he's lavish and extravagant. That he who did not spare his own son gave everything he could give, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? So how do I experience God's love? I read that and I believe that. I believe that God gave me everything he could give. He gave his own son for me. And then I believe the rest of it. And then along with him, he will freely give me all anything else I need. That's love. I put my faith and my confidence in that. 1 John 4, 16, we read during worship. Let's look at that. We have known and believed. It's by faith, isn't it? We experience everything of God by faith, right? Because he's a spirit, right? We receive it all by faith. He can't reach out and hug me with physical arms. He can't literally hold me in his lap, right? But there's something better and more powerful. It's his spirit living inside of me. All right, if, I, if someone gives me a hug, they, that's not inside of me, right? But, but when someone's living inside of you, they can do more for you than hug you. They can restore you, strengthen you, quicken you, right? We've come to know this love, this living inside of you love, right? This strength from the inside love. We've known and we've believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Amen. Boy, that's so good. So we, we're sure of this. We're certain that God gave everything he could give for us. Do you believe that? Are you sure of that? Are you certain? For you. He gave everything. Come on. You haven't done that many things right, have you? You're not that good, are you? It doesn't matter, does it? It wasn't based on what we did. It was based on his love for us. His love is a motivation for everything he does. So he gave his son because he loves you, not because of what you did or didn't do. So we're sure of that, and we're secure in that, right? And we're, and we're, 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 we're people who are under his authority and walk in his authority. And what's wonderful about Jesus, looking to Jesus, he's our example on both accounts. Experiencing God's love, giving his love, and being under God's authority and walking in God's authority. So, you know, Jesus had to be, be sure of God's love for him. It's true. He laid down everything when he came to earth. He was born in the womb of a woman, came into this earth as a little baby. He had to get to know his heavenly father. And he had to be confident in God's love for him so he could love others. No one was more mistreated than Jesus. Right? No one was, was taken advantage of, falsely accused, ridiculed, and eventually tortured to death like Jesus was. Isaiah prophetically declared that he was marred more than any other man, tortured to the point you couldn't recognize him physically. Right? But he loved people in the midst of it. He said, Father, forgive them. Right, as they're pounding spikes through his body. Forgive them. 
but they don't know what they're doing. See, you can rise above the way people treat you when you're sure of God's love for you. The way people treat you will really bother you when you're not confident in God's love for you. So it's not the way people treat us that that gets us upset. It's our lack of confidence in his love that moves us, that gets us off off of that, that joy and strength that he's provided. So we're confident of God's love for us, no matter who calls us what. Right? No matter what people might do to us, we're sure of God's love and we rise above the way they've treated us because of Him. Right? Hallelujah. And when you're confident of His love, you can see beyond people's behavior. Isn't that great? You can see beyond the darkness, beyond the moment. And you can see the amazing love of God that's transformed us, right? We, we've come to know, we've come to believe that love. And through faith in that love, we love others. So Jesus' best example you're ever going to find of experiencing God's love and walking in his love. Same thing with authority. And we, we, we uh, finished up last message in talking about authority, this is something that there's a lot of fog around in the body of Christ. And it doesn't need to be that way. But even if you're not in the body of Christ, just authority in general, there's a lot of confusion about that. I think we're more familiar with ungodly authority than we are with godly authority. As we've seen authority abused and uh, we've seen dictators and all kinds of crazy stuff happen in the world. But ungodly authority oppresses, puts down, um, suppresses. But godly authority lifts up, strengthens, restores, heals, makes new. That's the type of authority we're talking about. And at Highway Church, we want you to walk in your God-given authority. We want you to know what to stop in your life and what to allow. All right? So what to say no to and what to say yes. Right? What to enable in your life. So let's spend some more time. Let's, let's, let's really dig into this authority some more. It's going to help you so much uh, in walking in the victory that Christ has for you. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Something important to understand about Jesus. He really came to earth for two reasons. One, as our substitute. And number two, as our example, don't confuse the two. Okay? God, God declares in Hebrews, excuse me, in uh, Hosea 4, 6, I think it is, my people are destroyed, there it is, for lack of knowledge. He's not talking about uh, trigonometry knowledge right, or nuclear physics. What's he talking about? Knowledge of who he is. Knowledge of him. Right? Lack of relationship with the real living God. Right? Knowledge of who he is and what he's done for us through Christ and who we are in him. That's why people are perishing. 
people are being destroyed. People are missing out on their God-given destiny because they haven't realized they have a lack of knowledge of who he is, what he's done for us, and who we are in him. And boy, that's what we major on here at Highway Church, right? That's, the, that's what we were, we were uh, born for. Hallelujah. So what about Jesus as our substitute? What does that mean? It will help you know what to take authority over in your life and what to enable, what to allow. Jesus as our substitute means that all of the things that he bore for you on the cross, you are not to bear. Because he was your substitute. Very important to understand that. Everything that he bore for you on the cross, you're not to bear. And it's not holy to try and bear it. Right? We get no gold stars for trying to bear it. Okay? We, we, we take authority over it and rebuke it and forbid it from operating in our lives. And we don't have to create our own list of what he bore. It's in the Bible, right? Well, what are some of the things that he bore for us? Well, we know he bore the curse of sin, right? The curse of the law, the curse that Adam and Eve brought into the earth. He bore that. We're not going to go through all the scriptures for time's sake, but you can see that one of the places in Galatians 3.13. He bore the curse of sin for us. He bore the wages of sin, death, right? Romans 6.23. He bore the punishment of our sin. Isaiah 53, 5, he bore our sicknesses, he bore our diseases, Isaiah 53, 4, Matthew 8, 17. So anytime uh, sickness, disease, anything to do with a curse, and if you want a, 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 a more detailed definition of the curse, Deuteronomy 28 is pretty descriptive. Anything that tries to come into our lives that Jesus bore, we give it a big, great, big, fat red light. No, in Jesus' name. I forbid you to operate in my life. I don't analyze you. I don't diagnose you. I don't Google you. I forbid you to operate in my life. I am the healed of God. I am redeemed from every bit of you. I'm Jesus, redeem me from you, and you are not allowed to operate in my life, period, end of story. No negotiations, no discussion. That's the way it's going to be in my life from now on. Now, how was he our example? Well, Jesus was our example in a number of ways. Um, enduring persecution for righteousness' sake, right? People ridiculed him, called him demon-possessed because he was following God. If you follow God, you'll, you'll find that it won't take too long for someone to make fun of you or ridicule you, right? But he was also our example of a man, a human being, walking with God, taking authority over the darkness, very important to understand that. I grew up in a church that, that um, mis-exalted Jesus. <laughs> what did they do? They put him in a, in a case, a, a viewing glass that you can never touch. And they put him up in this saying, you know, what he did we can't do. Now, as our substitute, that's correct. 
See, you're, see how you can confuse the two? Yeah, what he did as our substitute, we can't do. You're right. He's the only Lamb of God. But what he did as our example, we were made to do. Amen. You see how you can confuse the two? So if someone just thinks of substitute, then they hear you say, I can do the things Jesus did and greater things than these. They're like, whoa, that's blasphemy. It was just, just Jesus can heal the sick. Well, that's not what he said. That's not what he taught, right? So he was an example for us as a human being born of a, of a woman coming into the earth as a baby, getting to know his father and learning to walk in the authority of his father and take authority over the darkness. So let's look at this because that's who we are. Didn't Jesus say that in John 14, 12? Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He'll do even greater things than these. Everyone who comes to a church should be encouraged in this truth because Jesus said it, right? He encouraged anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these. Let's look at Jesus as our example in Matthew chapter 9. We went over this at the end of our last message. Let's go back there. It's very powerful. Matthew chapter 9. Now keep in mind, Jesus, our substitute, he's the one and only Lamb of God. He's the Messiah. No one else could do what he did in that regard. He is all by himself. But as our example, he is demonstrating to us how to live on planet Earth. And here's a great uh, example of him being our example. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus gets into a boat. He crosses over. He comes to his own city, verse 2. And behold, they're bringing to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic, Take courage, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Uh-oh. The religious folks in verse 3, some of them are thinking to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. No one can forgive sins but God. Verse 4, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, Holy Spirit gave him a word of knowledge here. Why are you thinking evil in your thoughts, he says to them? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? In order that you may know, pay attention to this phrase, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man. You will see that phrase about 80 times in the Gospels. 80 times. The Son of Man. The Son of, what does it mean? The Son of Man. That's what it means. He, he was referring to himself as a Son of Man. He was born of a woman. This is him as our example. Very important to understand that. That's why he kept saying it over, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. That the Son of Man has what? Where? To forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. Next verse. And he rose and went home. Now look at verse 8. This is a humdinger right here. But when the multitude saw this, they were filled with awe. Why? Because they didn't know the authority God had given to men. And glorified God, who had given such authority to who? All right, let's look at this again now. Let's look at this authority in Genesis 1. All right, that's Jesus as our example. 
He's exampling the authority we've been given, and even the crowd recognized it. And the scriptures declare that God had given this authority to men. That's mankind, people, you and me. All right, are you ready? Are you with me? How are we doing? Good? You awake? All right. Genesis 1.26. This is really good. So God said, let us make man, son of man, man, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. You remember that word from last week? What does it mean? You remember? Sovereignty, right? Sovereignty. That's the definition of dominion. Just look it up in the dictionary, right? Let them have sovereignty over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth. Wow. And over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Wow. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Who did God give dominion to, male or female? Both. Absolutely. Right? He created male and female in his image, and he gave them dominion over the earth. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. This is a powerful word here. Replenish means to fill up again or to restore to its former condition. Remember what it was like before Satan was cast to the earth? Right? He gave man the authority to keep the earth in pristine condition as he desired it to be. Right? In fact, this, this word replenish, I started studying it out, and, and it carries with it this sense of supplying abundantly, but using force to do so. Which goes with the next part of the verse. He says, uh, let's see, where were we at here? Replenish. Dun, 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 dun. Where we? Yeah, replenish the earth and subdue it. Well, what does that word mean? That's like a military term, right? And subdue it, overcome, bring under control by force. Why is God using these terms? Dominion, sovereignty, replenish, subdue, bring it under control by force. What was in the earth that would oppose man? Chickens? Monkeys? Satan. Right? Demons. Right? They were going to have to exercise the authority God gave them in order for the light to remain in the earth, in order for the earth to remain in the condition that God desired it to be, right? So we see that God's authority requires a deliberate application, a knowledgeable application. You've got to know you've got it, and you've got to exercise it. So you see, Satan understands how authority works. But he doesn't want you to understand. So he's got to deceive you to defeat you. He's got to try and make you afraid, try and keep you from exercising your authority so that he can steal from you. Now let's look at this. This is what happened in Genesis chapter 3. 
And let's watch, let's watch Satan at work. Let's watch, because he does the same thing with us today. His tactics haven't changed, okay? And we're not ignorant of his schemes. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now we know this Satan enters a serpent, right? What was a, what was a, a serpent's body made of? What are animals made of? How did God make them? The earth, out of the earth, right? He spoke to the earth and brought forth living creatures. What was Adam's body made of? The earth, right? God made his body of the substance he gave him authority over, right? Our bodies are made of earth. We have authority over the earth. Guess what? Satan entered into a creature made of earth. Why? Because he wanted authority over the earth, right? He's trying to steal that authority. He's trying to come against what God has done. Let's keep reading here. So Satan says to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Great strategy here. Same strategy. What's he trying to do? Trying to call into question God's word, God's promise. Well, I don't know if it's really true. I mean, a lot of people have, have had their hands on it over the years. How can you really trust the Bible? I mean, there's an archaeologist that found this proof, and, and, and we found Judas's gospel. And I mean, come on. He wants to call into question the validity of God's promises to you. He does that day in and day out. Can I really trust with my whole life on, the, on what this book says? Can I lay my whole life on it? So he wants Adam and Eve to stop trusting God. As long as they trust him, they're safe. They're in him, right? How can you trust someone you don't believe in? How can you believe in someone you don't trust? You can't. Love and trust go together. If you don't have trust, you don't have love. You can't believe. Faith and love work together. Verse 2, the woman says to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit. Now, she shouldn't even enter into the conversation, right? No need to talk to someone like this. You don't need to discuss your life with Satan. What you're doing is none of his business. You don't need to carry on conversations with darkness. A rebuking is sufficient, right? The woman says to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, so she's going to quote God now, we shall not eat, uh, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Did she quote God correctly? No. Well, is that a big deal? Well, let's look at this for a second here. Let's see. It is, in terms of fulfilling our destiny and winning over darkness, it is vitally important that we esteem the very words of God. What do you mean by that? They become the highest thing in our lives. Nothing is higher than what he says. That means they become the authority, right? So if I esteem God's words higher than anything else in my life, automatically what begins to happen is I employ my time and my energy to learn his words. I don't want to forget them. I don't want to misquote them. I need to know them 
because Satan knows them. Right? So I employ my time and my energy to learn his promises. I come out in minus six degree weather, right, to hear the word of God, to learn his promises. I start my week off by assembling publicly at Highway Church to grow in the promises of God. I thoroughly enjoy hearing it. Throughout the week, I listen to it, right? I don't hear it just once on a Sunday. I'm listening to it during the week. Why? Because I want him. I've esteemed him higher than anyone or anything else in my life. That's who we are. We've esteemed him. So our lives are now built upon it. God's promises are not a casual, nice little thing we put on our refrigerator. There's nothing wrong with that. But they are the foundation of our lives. They're the passion of our lives. If he said it, we're all over it. We can't live without it. We're passionate about this. If I don't know what he said, I can't fight the darkness. I can't overcome Satan. If I don't know what he said, how am I going to have faith? Some are trying so hard to have faith in a situation, but they don't know his promises. And instead of trying to have faith, just grab his promises and meditate on it. Faith will come. (laughs) It just comes automatically. Just pull out his promises. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Where's that at? Mark 11, 24, I think, right? So pull that out and see what happens to your faith. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Spend about 20 days meditating on that. See what happens here. 20 days, I thought I could just read it once and have it. You need to develop your faith. This is a real battle going on. You can't be a a wishy-washy, well, I kind of believe this. Satan knows whether you know it or not, and he's going to test you to see if you know it, if you know that you know it. This is not a game. It's a very real warfare. You've got to know beyond the shadow of a doubt what God has promised you. And you can't let anyone or any circumstance move you off of that. And the strength to stand on that comes from meditating on it. So if you're having a difficult time having faith for something, that's just your spirit saying, I need more. I need to eat. Just pull out the promises and start meditating on those promises, and your faith's going to grow naturally. Faith is the most natural thing. But you just got to feed it, right? You got to meditate on the promises. So this is powerful. And we know what happened. So the woman, uh, Adam and Eve, they both uh, ended up putting their faith in Satan is really what they did, isn't it? They took his word over God. And what Satan ended up doing, uh, we don't have time to read it all. Well, verse 4, he said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Now, in Genesis 2.17, God said they would surely die. So Satan is not, I mean, he's, he's blatantly, boldly contradicting God right now. He is, he is openly calling God a liar in front of the, the man and woman that God created, right? He's saying the one who made you is a liar. 
Now he's really twisting things. He's really calling it. He, he's really trying to erode and destroy their trust in him. In other words, the one who made you has ulterior motives. He's keeping things back from you. He's not trustworthy. I'm giving you the truth. And they took him at his word. This was no small thing. And I, I, I sometimes people read through Genesis and they, well, you know, but what's the big deal? They just, it's the biggest of deals. It really is. It's the biggest of deals. They put their faith in darkness. They employed their time and energy to act upon darkness. All right? Very important. See, Satan understood this in Romans 6.16. This is a spiritual principle. There's, see, there are, just like gravity, there are spiritual principles, laws. And they're, they're meant to promote you for our benefit. But if you're not aware of them and ignorant of them, boy, they can crush you like gravity, right? right? If I try and walk off the roof of my house, I'm going to have a problem, right? I'm 25 feet up in the air, and I've got no wings, right? Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves... You're slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now stay with me here. The word obedience you'll see in the New Testament or, or disobedience is used interchangeably with believing. Obedience and believing, disobedience and unbelief. They go together. You'll see that in Hebrews, they'll talk about the disobedience of God people, or some translations will say the unbelief because of their unbelief, because of their disobedience. Same thing. Same thing. Because what I do depends on what I believe, right? How I act depends on what I believe. So I can't separate my actions from my believing. If I believe it, I act on it. See that? And, and you want to hear something crazy? Being a slave is not a bad thing. Depends on who your master is. Really. One of the definitions of a slave is uh, the property of another. Guess what? We're all slaves. We are. We are. You belong to someone. Either light or darkness. God or Satan. It's true. We belong to someone. But when your master's perfect love, woo, life is an unspeakable joy, right? In fact, 1 Corinthians 6, let's put that up there. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That means I don't own it. You ever heard someone say, it's my life, I can do what I want with it? Not true, right? That's like taking someone else's car and saying, it's my car, I can do it. What's that called? Auto theft. Right? So if I treat my body that way, you'll hear people justify what they do. as Well, it's, it's my body. I should have a choice to do what I want with it. And it's not your body. No one owns their body. No one on earth owns themselves. So there's a lot of people stealing, aren't they? Doing things to their body, to, to their body that does not belong to them. It's God's property. Don't you know that? So we go through life realizing we're, we're, we're driving in someone else's car, right? We're walking in God's temple. Who is in you whom you have received from God? You are not your own. 
That takes all the pride out of it that we see so much in, in the celebrities and the different things in the news, right? I'm going to do it my way. Well, you know, that, well, that's the essence of arrogance, right? I live my life my way. Who told you it was your life? If it, it, it would be your life if you created yourself. But the, the author has the authority, right? The one who created it has the authority over it. We see that in intellectual property in law, right? When you create something, by law, you have the, the, the rights to it. Well, God created us. By law, he's got the rights to us, right? Satan understood all this. So if he could get them to obey him, he could steal the authority God gave them. This is our last scripture, Romans 5. This is exactly what Romans 5.17 says. We're going to read out of the Weymouth translation, though. Look at the Weymouth. It just says, remember, dominion means sovereignty? Look what, the, what, what Weymouth says here. Romans 5.17. For if through the transgression of the one individual, look at this, this is, this is it. Death made use of the one individual to seize the sovereignty. <laughs> That's it. Woo. The devil's just been caught, Right? To seize the sovereignty, God said to man, right? He gave them sovereignty over the earth. So the devil used this opportunity, used Adam, he was the individual, right? To steal the sovereignty that God gave to him. All the more, but the good news is, all the more shall those who receive God's overflowing grace, that's you and me, right? And gift of righteousness reign as sovereigns, right? Did you know you're a sovereign? Shall reign as kings in life through the one individual, Jesus Christ. Wow, that's you and me now. This answers a lot of questions, right? God made man in his image, gave him sovereignty over the earth. Satan, who had no authority at that point and wanted authority, right, came to man, deceived him, right, and he ended up stealing that sovereignty over the earth, and, and that's when everything on earth changed. We're going to have to stop there today, but that's when literally everything in Adam and Eve changed, everything on the earth changed. Uh, one uh, scientific institution I read, the Institution for Creation Research, they believe, according to their studies, that the earth shifted on its axis at the point of sin, that it went from a paradise to uh, began to fall apart. Um, so this was no little thing, right? But the good news is now that through faith in Christ, Right? Those who receive the abundance of his grace and the gift of his righteousness get that sovereignty back. Amen. Not over God, not over other people, over darkness. All right? We're going to have to stop here. We're going to continue. Next week, we want to get into you exercising your authority. All right? So think of yourself as a sovereign as you leave here today. Really? How would you walk if you had a crown and a you know, a royal robe on you. How would you walk, really? Would you be afraid of darkness if you knew that you were crowned with light, that Jesus was your Lord, that you're representing the King of Kings, and that he's got you covered? Uh -uh. So those fears that try and come at you where you're sleeping or at nighttime, right? Stand up. 
You've got a crown on. You're wearing the light of Jesus Christ. Take authority over fear. Don't let fear operate in your life. Don't allow your hearts to be troubled or agitated. Don't let yourselves be afraid. Stand up. Let's stand up right now and speak the word. Let's put that confession up there. Let's exercise our authority over our lives. All right? Let's say this together. I am strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. His faithful promises are my armor and protection. The Lord is my refuge and my fortress, my shield and my strength. Jesus is my light and my salvation. I walk in the light as he is in the light. I walk in the light of life. Amen. Is that true of you? You can be sure of it. You can be sure of it. We're so sure. Let's say it again. Say it with confidence. I am strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. His faithful promises are my armor and protection. The Lord is my refuge and my fortress, my shield, and my strength. Jesus is my light and my salvation. I walk in the light as he is in the light. I walk in the light of life. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your light shining brightly in our lives. You loved us so much. You gave us your son. You gave us the abundance of your grace and the gift of your righteousness that we could walk in authority again on the earth with Satan under our feet. Father, I ask that you help each and every one of us to walk in the authority that you have given us. Lord, help, your perfect, help us to, to grow in your perfect love, that your perfect love would reign in our hearts and every fear would be destroyed in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. So see yourself as the sons and daughters of God. It's not a fantasy. It's not hocus pocus. It's simply what he did for you through Jesus Christ. Amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good he is.